Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This is RFC Throwback. This is the third episode of RFC Throwback version two. I'm Brian Kilby. On this episode, uh, I take things in a, little, in a little different direction and going a little personal in uh, identifying what's on my top five uh, Transformers artifacts want list. Uh, and also, uh, I sit down virtually with John DeLuna and uh, we talk about John's time as a licensee of Hasbro. Now, on the show, we didn't talk about that at all because uh, it, it's sensitive in nature. Uh, John had access to information that he did not share. Uh, that was um, uh, protected, I'll say, uh, via non-disclosure agreements and et cetera. But uh, as an executive of John's company, he uh, helped negotiate a deal with Hasbro to uh, sell Hasbro Transformers branded products. So. Uh, I talked to John uh, now that he's no longer at that company and, and no longer in that relationship uh, about what that uh, kind of relationship with Hasbro looked like. So that's an interesting conversation. Hope you enjoy it. Uh, let's go ahead and get started with the show. Stan Bush here, and I dare you to check out Radio Free Cybertron. So I wanted to do something different on this episode. Like I said, this is going to be sort of a, it's a mishmash. Uh, it's a, it's a strange assortment of topics, uh, stuff that we normally wouldn't get into on a regular episode of Radio Free Cybertron. But as we go through this, maybe some of these things that we talk about or do, uh, we might land on a, a segment idea that we, you know, promote to the regular show. Uh, this one I don't really think will work since it's sort of more of a one-off, but uh, I really wanted to talk about uh, some of the items on my uh, search list on eBay, my uh, saved lists. Uh, it's not everything. It's not all inclusive, but it's items that uh, I, I'm always on the lookout for. Uh, not necessarily because they're hard to find or because they're that valuable or sometimes not even because they're that neat. Just for whatever reason, I've always wanted them. I collect... Uh, Anything Transformers really for the most part, but uh, one thing that I've always collected is what used to be called artifacts, and that's really what uh, these items are. They are uh, Transformers branded items that uh, may or may not be uh, produced by Hasbro or Takara. Uh, they could really just be something that uh, some Joe Schmo with a, a garage business, a garage based business, uh, put together, but uh, maybe created something lasting and uh, that still excites the memories of geeks and nerds like like you and me. 40 years later. So that's really what I'm talking about here. It's not really transforming toys more than Transformers artifacts. Uh, and Like the first one, I don't think is that hard to find. I see it uh, off and on, um, but it's the tr uh, Optimus Prime Transformers toothbrush set. Uh, so it came out forever ago and uh, it's like a dish with an Optimus Prime and a toothbrush. I actually came across one of these at the uh, uh, Toy Federation store recently and I should have bought it. When it was uh, when it was right there in front of me, but they didn't have a price on it, and I didn't know what a comp would be to uh, to to make an offer by, and I just let it set, and uh, I should have uh, I should have put an offer on it, but I didn't. Uh, I you know for what, I don't know why I want it. I always have. It was something that uh, I first learned about on Alt Toys Transformers back in about 1998. Uh, someone I can't remember who, but they uh, might 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 have been our pal Z uh, Zobavore, uh, Dave Edwards who uh, kept a Transformers artifacts list. And uh, that was on there. It always, it always stood out to me. And for whatever reason, I never picked it up. But uh, yeah, I've always wanted to get that. And uh, it, it's out there. The most recent complete one that I saw on eBay sold for about 40 bucks. And uh, eventually I will pick it up. Now there's a more expensive uh, Ultra Magnus like um, electric toothbrush that's out there. And 
it goes for quite a bit more. It's usually like in the hundred dollar plus range, but I don't really want it. I don't. It doesn't really resonate with me, even though even though I love Ultra Magnus, and it just doesn't. Uh, just not not really something that I am on the search for. But uh, that uh, that uh, Optimus Prime one, yeah, it's uh, it it sure is something that uh, eventually I will pick up. It's out there. Like I said, it's not super hard to find, uh, but uh, it is. Uh, it's it, it's something I've wanted for years. Another item that I've wanted for a while is the uh, Transformers Viewmaster, but specifically I want I want it boxed because I love the way it looks in the box. And uh, with the Viewmaster uh, toy, you can actually, uh, there's a window in the back where you can actually look through it. And uh, it just looks great. It's a standard Viewmaster. I think it comes with three reels, if I remember correctly. Uh, but the packaging just looks great. And eventually I will get it. Uh, loose, it sells for like the $25 plus range. Um I found one recently. It went for fifty bucks with a beautiful box. Uh, I lost the auction. It's one of those things I don't want to spend too much money on because, for what it is, it's not that I'm really buying a box. <laughs> you know, I've got Viewmasters. Uh, you know, they are easy to come by still, but it's just such a beautiful piece. Uh, it's something that will eventually live in my collection. Uh, one item that you would think, uh, uh, since we we got a recent um, stand-in for it, that that it would leave my uh, forever watch list but it hasn't it's the we'll say vintage uh transformers the movie soundtrack on vinyl i also want it on cassette i don't have it on cassette i do have of course have it on cd but uh, i don't have the the vintage on vinyl uh nor do i have the original cassette um the uh vinyl version that came out uh a few years ago uh it's i believe it's on a higher quality uh record basically it's a it's a thicker higher quality disc and uh i believe that uh the uh, resolution of the the packaging is lower it looks like a scan I, I may be wrong there but it it just doesn't look as good uh or as sharp as the original uh when you see the original um the cassette sells in the 30 dollars range but that's one of those things i really just want to find in the flea market or uh or an antique store it's one of those things i don't really want to pay 30 dollars for the cassette uh the vinyl sells for 50 to, to 100 bucks really just depends i again i want to find it this is something i definitely want to find in a flea market i want to find it somebody that uh is selling it for five or ten bucks um i don't care if there are a couple scratches on it i'm not going to listen to it i just really want it it's just uh it's just something so um one thing i did find recently and i don't know if there are other uh other albums out there uh, but it was a single it looked like a radio single uh for uh it was a Scotty Brothers disc, a record, a uh, single of uh, one of the songs that Vince DiCola did for Rocky IV, which was uh, around the same time, within a few years, of uh, Transformers the movie. Uh, I was actually was really hoping to find in this stack of uh, vintage singles that uh, looked like they came from a radio station. I was really hoping to find like uh, The Touch or or Dare or something like that, but I, I honestly don't know if they were released in single form. I probably could find out, but uh, it's just something I would love to find that if, if that exists, but I don't know that it does, but uh, you know, uh, it's, again, if, if it, if it does, there are probably not that many copies out there. Um, but I went through every single record uh, that that uh, antique store had. They had tons of singles, but uh, only uh, one Vince Nicola, Scotty brothers. And I didn't even get it. I don't think maybe I did. I should go back and check. I don't think I did. Uh, I also really want, this is something that's been on my want list again since the 80s. Not since the 80s, since the 90s, uh, mid-90s. Uh, it came out in 89. It's the original release of Transformers the Movie on Laserdisc in Japan. It's the one by the Sobe Iso Corp, not the 1998 Pioneer uh, Laserdisc release. Now, the Pioneer disc is pretty easy to find. It, it's not cheap, but it's still pretty easy to find. The... Uh, the 1989 disc, though, um, it is less common. And the last one that I saw on eBay, the last time I checked, it, it sold for $180. And if I see another one, I probably would pay in that range for it. Uh, it's one that I'm never going to find in the wild. It is, uh, you know, there there is demand for it. And it's honestly, I just want it. I, I'm trying to remember what, trying to remember what the, uh, the actual differences are. I believe that, uh, uh, I believe there are some differences in the release uh, between the two. Uh, I I can't tell you specifically what they are off the top of my head, but uh, it, when the, that one was released in 98, uh, I remember contemporary accounts of people saying that it was different. 
I need to go back to Altoids Transformers and read up on what those differences were. But honestly, it just might be easier for me to pick that one up too. So I can document them myself. I hate me sometimes. Now, the last item on my list, I'll be honest with you, I don't have a reason for wanting it other than it's just kind of cool. It's the G2 Galvatron watch. Now, this was actually sold stateside by Takara, so not by Hasbro. And uh, the, the, this is a re-release of the watch that first came out, uh, I don't know, five or six years earlier in Japan. Uh, but this one is sold in G2 packaging, which is interesting. I don't remember seeing this one on the shelf, but I do remember contemporary accounts again on Alt Toys Transformers saying that uh, this watch was available at uh, Big Lot stores for quite a while uh, after release. Uh, sealed, these go for... Uh, a couple hundred dollars, usually. I saw some at TFCon last year. I uh, would actually, uh, I've always wanted this. And uh, just to be completely honest with you, it wouldn't be Radio Free Cybertron without me making a purchase during the show. And as I'm recording this, I actually just picked up one. So uh, I guess my top five most wanted Transformers artifacts list is now my top four <laughs> most wanted Transformers artifacts list. Uh, but it's an interesting item. He basically, uh, it's a watch, but he flips up. Uh, and you can sort of point it at people, which is probably not wise, but nobody's going to mistake it for a gun because it's a watch, but, uh, it's a really, it's a neat little piece. I've always wanted one, or at least I say I've always, it's been like, I've wanted one for like 25 years. So, uh, yeah, it's, um, yeah, so I, I'll have this on the way. I should have it in about a week. So I'm pretty excited about that. Uh, so I think, you know, I need to go through and just clear out my, uh, save search because there's a lot of stuff in here. I'll get a wild hair. Somebody will mention something. I'll be like, oh, yeah, I, I've wanted that for a while. And uh, I go back and look at my list, and it's just full of stuff that <laughs> randomly I was interested in, you know, a year and a half ago. Uh, but, uh, yeah, as far as artifacts go, this is pretty much pretty much what I want. There's a couple other things. I'd like to get the uh, Tyco uh, G1 uh, train set, but it's not like something I have to have. Uh, I need to finish off my uh, Tyco race set. I've got one of them, one Mustang. I need to get another one. I need to get the, uh, I've got the white one. So I guess I need to get the red one, but uh, yeah, there's a, uh, there's a lot of things out there that, uh, are not Transformers toys, but are Transformers branded items that are, are have, are still really interesting. And, uh, it's one of my favorite things to collect. It's my favorite, one of my favorite segments. And, uh, it, this is just, uh, I'm really excited, <laughs> super excited about getting this watch now. Radio Free Cybertron, the original Transformers internet radio show since 1999. 100% girlfriend free since 1999. So we have John DeLuna on the line. John here. Uh, John, welcome to RFC Throwback. Brian, it's great to be here. Yes, this is, uh, uh, this is a momentous event. I'm oh, yeah. Glad you're I'm here. never on the air with you. Never. Gosh, it's not like we used to have a show together that we did every week then maybe every five weeks or two months or whatever yeah it's how how ideas go i know but but here we are here we are so um i wanted to get you on because a while back there was uh a kerfuffle uh, uh between uh over a certain uh item that was licensed i'm not going to go into details oh yes that yeah i didn't know exactly where you were going until uh this this moment i was i was this years old or this minute's old when yes. i realized what you were talking about uh, but so uh, one thing that we didn't ever go into details on on the podcast, I might have hinted at it or joked about it. Um, but uh, John was for a while uh, a licensee of Hasbro. Maybe not you directly, mm -hmm. but your company was that you were an executive at. Uh, correct. Yes. And uh, for sure. About seven years, actually. That long? Wow. Yeah, it's crazy. So uh, there's a lot of things John couldn't talk about you know, due to his relationship with uh, Hasbro and his company's relationship with Hasbro. Uh, and there were funny stories, though, I have to say, like you at trade events around Hasbro and having to play the dual role of uh, representative of your company and also fan. Yes, nerd. Yeah. Professional nerd. Professional nerd. Sure. That's pretty yeah. awesome. Yeah, yeah. It was a dance for sure. But um, so I actually wanted to get you on and sort of talk about like what it's like being uh, a, a licensee of Hasbro and yeah. having to deal with go through the process and like what kind of latitude you have to do things i just really sort of wanted to understand um understand that and i guess sort of start off like how does somebody even become a licensee of hasbro so that is a good story because i'll i'll pat myself on the back i was effectively like the catalyst and the person who i guess unsurprisingly given that i'm been on a transformers podcast for 20 years yeah 
20 plus years, but uh, I was the uh, the champion at my company to go out and get this uh, license with Hasbro. Did they so, know to what extent you were a fan? Uh, they, they had bits and pieces, uh, based on like, and we can get into it later, like product feedback. Um, so like my feedback on certain things was very specific and probably had like the air of, um, some uncommon like depth of knowledge of transformers. So they were probably, they were picking up like based on my feedback, um, this guy's onto something, you know? So it wasn't just like kind of like broad generalizations. Like I had very specific feedback. The marketing guy had very specific feedback on, um, product. So, so yeah, they, I think they got the, they got the picture over time, but, uh, so your, you know, your original question is kind of like, like, how does this start? Like, how does this happen? How do you get that license? Um, so at this point, obviously licensing is very established. Um, it's a very common form of, uh, of product development and marketing and sales that, you know, you purchase the rights uh, to use somebody else's brand, you stamp it on your brands, and they get some royalties out of it. So you're leveraging the brand power of, of something else uh, for, a, for a often unrelated product uh, until, you know, you have some, some of your brand equity in that licensed product. Um, so I worked at a eyewear company, and this is all public, you can check my LinkedIn, it's fine. But uh, we like many companies in the um, in the medical slash kind of fashion industry. Uh, we designed uh, frames, like prescription frames, you put on your face. You go to the eye doctor and get your frames. So we designed and distributed those. That the company still does, still there, uh, and uh, sunglasses and things like that. And uh, in that world, uh, just like the apparel world and in many other uh, places, brands are a big deal. And uh, licensed brands are a big deal. So most people think of things like um, like uh, Gucci and Michael Kors and Nike is a big one, obviously, uh, where they take that brand and they put it on eyewear or sunglasses. And uh, then they can obviously ask the consumer to pay a lot more because Nike is a very popular brand. And so putting Nike, it didn't, on, Nike didn't make the prescription sunglasses that I got from my you know, right. optometrist. Wow. Right. Some big eyewear company bought the rights or got an agreement with Nike to use that swoosh on their uh, on their sunglasses and their and their frames. And obviously now they command a much higher dollar and Nike gets uh, on their side, they get a cut of the sales uh, and also um, often just kind of like a flat payment in addition to that. And that that percentage of the sales they get is called a royalty. And, uh, and it varies. It's all negotiation. So everybody cuts a different deal for that. Um, but, you know, it's, a, it's in theory a win-win for the two companies, Nike and the, and the manufacturer of whatever product they license to. And, uh, and a third win uh, is, in, again, in theory, is for the, uh, the customer because they get a product that they like. And if they genuinely like it, then, yeah, it's, it, everybody wins. So that that's kind of generally how royalties work, right? It, it's um, somebody who specializes in a certain product. They need to kind of uh, pump it up with some brand power. Uh, and instead of like building their own brand, which can take decades and it may not work, um, they can go find another brand in, a, in an unrelated world and they can pay that brand, the owner of that brand. And, ba- and they're basically saying, hey, I want to use your logo. I want to use your name on my stuff. And they have brand power overnight uh, in their in their category and everybody gets a cut so in my world in eyewear as it happened like we had a need for a new kids brand uh, we uh, at the time and i believe still the company still is a license e of nickelodeon uh, but uh, you always want more brands in your portfolio so we um had a need for additional kids brands. We had already kind of used up all the Nickelodeon brands and, and we had sold our product to all the different retailers. And of course now retailers ask, ask for more. So we needed more kids brands. And uh, John happened to be a big fan of one Hasbro brand, in particular Transformers. And I remembered that our licensing director um, had come to me before and a licensing director is basically in charge of all the uh, contracts and all the, the deals that the companies are, are cutting with each other. Um, she had come to me before and, and given me a, um, a brand presentation from Hasbro. 
that my company had gotten a few years before, before I joined. And Hasbro had actually um, proposed in the past um, a licensing deal to several eyewear manufacturers. So it can go both ways. You know, these big companies that have brands that they think are very valuable, um, obviously Hasbro makes a big deal of their brands. Uh, they know that they can make additional money uh, selling just the brand, licensing the brand to other companies. And again, the other companies do most of the work uh, creating the products, um, using those licensed brands. And again, what Hasbro gets is a check in the mail. What's what's that uh, presentation called, That uh, the proposal called? I mean, it's a licensing deck. You know, it can it can be um, it can be really anything. It can be as gimmicky and fun, or as kind of like straight laced and uh, financial in nature um, as a company wants. But uh, it's a it's a basically a licensing deck. Um, if you said that to anybody in licensing, they would they would know what you were okay. What you're talking about? It's, it's like it, a rev, it's like a reverse RFP or something. Um, yeah, it's it, it's basically. Um, what it basically looks like is like in in the case of Hasbro and really any company, it's it's them kind of saying like, here are all the brands in our portfolio. Here are all the brands that we own. Here's how popular they are. Uh, here's their target audience. Um, here are the sales uh, every year uh, in other licensed categories. So ideally, that they, they they will say like, you know, this brand already works uh, in in all these different kinds of products. Like it, it's already proven successful that you can. You can put a Transformers logo and Autobot shield on just about anything and it will help sales. So they kind of demonstrate that in the presentation. And then sometimes they will, um, uh, in some cases, actually kind of like put a very kind of loose structure in place at the end of the presentation just to give you an idea of like how many years they would like an agreement uh, with you, um, kind of how they how how they structure those kind of deals, like at a very high level, that would be at the very end of the presentation. Um, but yeah, it's mostly just the company kind of bragging on itself and, and trying to convince you that this brand, that these brands are very popular, very relevant, and they work already um, as a licensed brand. So it does happen both ways, right? So so anyway, so that triggered in my head. Hey, then I guess this means Hasbro doesn't have an eyewear license um, licensee. And we need more kids' brands. So let's meet Hasbro at Licensing Expo. And Licensing Expo is a giant trade show that happens every year in Las Vegas. And Licensing Expo looks a lot like Toy Fair, frankly, mm -hmm. uh, because there are giant booths everywhere in the trade show, in the ballroom, uh, the exhibit hall. Uh, Hasbro is one of, definitely one of the bigger booths um, and in addition to obviously toy brands, uh, I would say probably half the show is toy brands, um, and like youth brands, entertainment brands, uh, there are all kinds of things. So there's like a Martha Stewart booth and there's a, um, back in the day there was a duck commander booth and you know, there's, uh, all kinds of, uh, brands, automobile brands, a any, any company that again, wants to convince you to buy the rights to their brand and put it on your product. They are at that trade show. And um, we, uh, as a team, myself and a couple other people, we scheduled a meeting with Hasbro at their booth, uh, which I was very excited about, obviously. And, uh, and we, at that point, it's very casual. You just kind of meet with Hasbro's licensing mm -hmm. director and you have your licensing director. And you just kind of, you basically at that point, you just discuss each other's companies and you're just kind of feeling each other out. So Hasbro just kind of goes back over their size and their success and all that stuff. You as a company, you go over your history with licensing, um, your annual, given, give an idea of your annual sales and you're just trying to kind of like validate each other. Right. So, so after that initial meeting, everybody goes home. And uh, the licensing directors go to work. And so other than the contract negotiations, which are just numbers, not as interesting, um, what you are doing often is showing Hasbro, especially if Hasbro isn't very um, experienced in your product category, you are putting together prototypes and drawings and creative examples of what you could do with the Hasbro brands. And so you create a um, presentation and a pitch to Hasbro to show them, hey, we're you can trust us with your brand. 
So we can take your logos and we can take your IP, we can take your trademarks, intellectual property, um, and we can put it on our product and it's going to look good and people are going to want to buy it. And here's what it looks like. So, so, you know, we sent them a presentation that showed all these transformers and my little pony and um, Play-Doh product designs and concepts, glasses and sunglasses and all that jazz. And, And that basically just shows them that, Hey, we're not, you know, we're not amateurs at that at the product level. And that's really what matters. So you, you want product that will sell. So, you know, it's a courtship. Uh, they, um, they know that you are working kind of blind, uh, because one thing that doesn't happen in licensing very often, sometimes, but usually not is you don't get official artwork and official. Yes. Before you cut the deal. So Hasbro is not going to send you all the official files for like transformers, you could get bootleg logos. stuff. If they did that, yeah, yeah. So you know, you're they know there's kind of a wink, wink that they know that you're scrapping together things you find on the internet and doing the best you can to just kind of like concept stuff for them. Uh, so if everybody's happy with what they see, um, a deal is kind of uh, agreed upon, and you know, kind of what that is at a fundamental level is it's a number of years. You guys agree to how many years you're going to be partners. Uh, basically, how many years is Hasbro going to promise that you are the only company that's going to make, say, Transformers glasses or Transformers uh, wrapping paper or Transformers Kleenexes or, you know, clean, put, you know, you're protected from, uh, from Hasbro going out and finding another partner. However, in some cases, uh, companies do sign non-exclusive deals. Uh, they're less expensive. Uh, they're higher risk, obviously, uh, but most deals are exclusive. So the the company like Hasbro is committing to you uh, three years, five years, six years, whatever it is, that uh, no other competitor in your space is going to get these brands. And uh, and then you also agree to the percentage of royalties. So again, that is Hasbro is going to take a percent of your sales of uh, their branded product uh, and they're going to put it in their pocket. And then the final thing that's kind of like a, a basic of these agreements is a minimum. So that is a sales minimum. And it's basically agreeing to a minimum payment that the company is going to give Hasbro. Um, so you, the licensee, and Hasbro is the licensor. Uh, Hasbro is giving you their brand. You're taking their brand. So they are the licensor. And you are the licensee. So as the licensee, you are promising Hasbro that, hey, no matter how uh, good or bad the sales are, and sometimes things don't work out, even if the sales are terrible, I'm going to at least give you this much money every year. That's your minimum agreement. And you agree to that, too. So um, that's kind of reassurance from Hasbro that we're going to get at least something for, for our trouble and at least something for risking uh, giving our brand to somebody else. So when those things are all uh, lined up, uh, what happens is uh, then you get the official artwork and content and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, in a case of a company as big as Hasbro or Nickelodeon or a Mattel or or any of those kind of entertainment uh, brands, of course, that's very organized and clean. And, uh, and you are, you as the uh, licensee, you are kind of kept up to date and you're, you are regularly, um, kind of seasonally sent new content, uh, which in some cases can be spoilers. If you're interested or very knowledgeable into a brand, uh, you do from time to time get sneak peeks at stuff pretty far in advance because the artwork and the creative content that a company like Hasbro will give the, um, you know, the t-shirt maker or the eyewear maker, or again, uh, any of these licensees, they prepare that artwork way in advance, very, very far in advance. And they, they give that to, to us. So we have plenty of time to design product, get it manufactured, uh, often overseas, um, and then have it brought over in time for it to hit market around the time that Hasbro's core products, the toys, are hitting the market. So everything looks pretty much like it's coordinated. Um, so, you know, we get we get stuff very far in advance. And of course, you sign non-disclosure agreements. 
So that's that's part of the deal for sure. Uh, that a lot of the artwork that you're seeing uh, six months, eight months, nine months in advance, um, that is confidential. And your factories also have an understanding that uh, this is confidential. And everybody does the best that they can to uh, to keep the secret, so to speak. And we, we know it's not a perfect system, but... Uh, I will say that John was very discreet. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I would. I mean, like, you know, it'd be nice to know some of this stuff, but no, mum's the word. <laughs> that's true. Yeah, that's true. That's true. You, uh, especially, um, again, like if you have any knowledge of the brand, like you would see certain things um, that would be exciting uh, to share. Um, but you honor that agreement because you never know. And, and again, that's the agreement. So, um, we see it's, we see kind of across the board, it's really hard to keep that secret. The more people that are kind of like exposed to that stuff, especially when you get close to toy fair, but, uh, but that's the deal. So anyway, so once, um, once the agreement is kind of set, one thing that I didn't cover is, um, approvals. So like I said, when, it, when in the courtship, when you guys are trying to get the deal with the company, um, you're doing the best you can to, to make concepts that you think will make Hasbro happy. Once the deal's cut, though, and you have all the official artwork and all the stuff that you need, the assets that you need to make real product, um, now it's game time. And now you have to make prototypes of the real stuff. So, uh, and this is for any product category, Hasbro included. Hasbro does like test shots and and drawings and, and that kind of stuff um, that we're we're familiar with. Well, all the all the licensed licensing companies, all the licensees, they do the same thing. Uh, the difference is they have to submit that stuff to Hasbro for approval. So you're submitting prototypes of your product to Hasbro's a brand team for approval. They review drawings uh, and then they they review samples, actual product samples, and they comment on those. And then you have to take their comments and, and revise your product. And depending on the agreement, you might have to resubmit prototypes. So this can take a long time. Um, over time, though, um, very often, if you've been a partner with someone like Hasbro or, or other companies for a long time, they do build up a trust with you. And, and those approvals kind of streamline. And, uh, and some of the back and forth kind of gets reduced. But it does take um, a bit of time. And it takes a few a few years to kind of like, you know, take swings at stuff before they have that trust, which is expected. So in respect to that approval process uh, in Hasbro going back and forth, uh, how protective of uh, the brand and the IP, not not IP, because I'm not I'm not leaning into like third party, but like how protective is Hasbro? Like I would imagine that uh, like some things like the slightly the wrong color or of a, of like a Optimus prime or the Autobot logo or uh, the proportionality, like, like an image being skewed or something, they would look at that and immediately go, no, you know, do it again or, or something like that. I mean, I just, I can't imagine that, uh, you know, that they're loose with their standards when it comes to uh, what they expect from their license holders. You know, I think that it probably varies based on one, their, their experience and their knowledge of a product category and to um, what, what they're trying to accomplish with a brand at any given time. So the brands that are priorities for them, uh, it's still true today, but it was definitely true when I was dealing with them. It was Transformers and My Little Pony. Like those were the number two by a mile uh, as far as like them looking at everything two or three times and really scrutinizing things because that, that was their priority. And then, um, so, so there was that, so that, that added scrutiny to our product category just because we were, we were using their, um, their number one and number two brands. Um, what helped us was that they were not familiar with our, our category. So the actual like product. So like when it comes to, and when it comes to something very specialized, like eyewear and sunwear, uh, it's not like t-shirts, uh, where everybody kind of has an idea of, of how a t-shirt works and how it fits and, um, what a good t-shirt looks like and what a bad t-shirt looks like. People kind of have a gut feel for that. Um, when it comes to specialized products, and this would be one, uh, you know, they defer to us a lot. So especially when it came, it came to like shapes and styles. Um, so, you know, glasses, uh, one, one in two humans across the, across the earth require a uh, vision correction, whether they can afford it or not, whether they have the resources to get help or not. Uh, 50% of the human population 
really does need some kind of vision uh, correction and assistance, which is an interesting stat. Um, so you would think like like glasses are are, are like T-shirts, like people would just kind of have a at this point just kind of a feel for what what are good selling glasses or, or what glasses will sell and, and what won't. But not really. I mean, once you, once you kind of like are, are faced with the challenge of trying to pick shapes and colors and sizes um, and, and then trying to like, you know, guess which ones will be successful at retail, you realize uh, this is something for like the specialists, like the people who like do this for a living. So Hasbro recognized that with our product category. And so they kind of laid off, uh, they laid off our um you know, our decision making kind of like took uh, took over, and they they laid off that part of the design process, so that helped us. Um, but you're right, Brian. When it comes to like um, placement of an Autobot uh, shield or Decepticon shield, um, and that's definitely what they called them in our, in our licensing decks. They weren't symbols or marks or logos. They were the shield, the Autobot shield, and the the Decepticon shield. But you know, where you put that, how big it is. Um, if it's anything but red or purple, um, you know, if it's, if it's silver or chrome or, or any kind of like non-standard color, uh, white, uh, heaven forbid, uh, they would have to, they really would look at that and, and specifically approve or reject that. Um, one thing that you do get as a licensee is you do get these really extensive, um, libraries of elements that you can use. And it's not just like the character art and the transformers like logos, uh, shields. Uh, it's, uh, it's also things like here are background patterns or here are cool, like circuitry, um, patterns. Uh, here are all the different, like little gribbly pieces of art that we use on the packaging, um, all kind of separated out. And, and, you know, they give that to companies like, like ours and you can mix and match and, and kind of like, you know, rearrange stuff using all those pieces. It's like using different ingredients to cook different uh, dishes. So, you know, as long as you're using all those pieces without like manipulating them, you're just changing the arrangement and kind of like how you're using them. It, as long as you uh, respected like each each little asset, you're you're good. You're probably going to be fine. Um, but they do watch that um, one thing that I will say that they are, they were, they were really particular about and uh, Nickelodeon was the same is, uh, they are very particular about packaging. So the product itself, the licensed product itself kind of lives on its own and, and kind of goes through its own approval process. But when it comes to like packaging, uh, hang tags, uh, boxes, uh, the packaging and the tagging around a product, they are very specific. They're particular. Very particular about that. Uh, and in many cases, they will give you um, pre-designed and in some cases pre-sized, like a selection of different sizes of packaging and hang tags that you must use uh, because they really don't want uh, Transformers packaging or Ninja Turtles packaging, My Little Pony packaging. They really want to minimize any kind of variance and any kind of wobble in how that packaging looks from one product category to another, like that is one place they are super specific and because they really, they still want people to feel on some level, like this is all coming from one place. So they really, really watch that. And I found that interesting. Often, often packaging was much harder to get approvals on than the actual product that you're selling. But, uh, but there is a lot of back and forth. And again, that's probably where I exposed myself as somebody who knows a lot about Transformers, um, because our, our product was, um, I would think, pretty on point the first time around. And then when they would come back with feedback, uh, I could translate it for the team because, um, you know, sometimes they're talking shop. Sometimes they're using Transformers terminology. Uh, so I was able to kind of help that along. I couldn't help on the My Little Pony lines to the same degree, but I tried. Same deal with them. Uh, you know, you would submit it to the My Little Pony brand team and, you know, back and forth and all that. So when they when they sign off on on licensed product, then it's time to to let the factories um, loose and then they can go into their production run. So on top of all of that, uh, you have the challenge of actually selling this stuff to retailers. So un unless you have a robust direct sales business. Chances are, if you're a company that licenses brands, um, still to this day, uh, you are putting that stuff on 
other people's shelves. So you're trying to sell to Walmart and Costco. Uh, you're trying to sell to perhaps independent business owners. Depends on your business, but you might be, um, you know, if you're in the retail business, there are still kind of boutique shops all across the country, and there's people who own their own um, clothing shop, and, and so you're selling to them. Uh, there's Amazon, obviously, who's huge now in everything. Uh, so how? So that is something completely different. So what you're doing is you're having you as the as the person who has acquired the Hasbro brands, uh, you are going to these retailers, retailers and the buyers for your product. Uh, they're in charge of purchasing uh, product in your category. So there's a toy buyer for Walmart. He's probably the toy buyer for Walmart and the toy buyer for Amazon are probably the two most powerful people in that industry right now. Um, not even exaggerating. They probably are like, you know. Oh, yeah, I the, get it. Totally. The kings and queens of the toy world, for sure. Um, but companies are going to those buyers. In our case, it was the optical buyer, the person who runs, uh, say, a Walmart Vision Center or a Costco Optical or um, any of those uh, players. And you are, and also, you know, independent business owners, too. I, in, in our case, eye doctors. And you're presenting products that you think will, um, will attract customers for them. And so now you are doing uh, the pitch of Hasbro's brands to them. So now you're putting together presentations showing your your Hasbro branded product, your Transformers product, and you're trying to and you're showing them samples and prototypes and things like that. You're trying to what you're trying to do is you're trying to kind of thread the needle of getting them to agree to put in an order. You want you want those buyers to order your product, and, and, and the bigger they are, the bigger the order. You're trying to thread that. You're trying to time it just right. So they give you an order and Hasbro has approved that product and it's all going to hit the shelves when Hasbro wants it and the retailer wants it. And ideally when the kids want it or your, your customers want it. So it needs to hit the shelves when it's still like hot and popular and relevant. And it needs to hit the shelves when everybody expects it. And, you know, on Hasbro's side, really what they're worried about is their they're, uh, or one of the things I should say they're worried about or interested about is when their royalty check comes in. So like all those sales, you know, depending on how they hit um, the calendar, uh, that affects, you know, when everybody gets uh, compensated. And, uh, and again, really, the, 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 the key to success for all this is if the customer's happy. So if the customer's happy and they're buying stuff and they're enjoying the product, it all kind of flows from there. And, and, and usually everybody else ends up being happy. So it's a, it's a real dance, um, at that point, you know, you've got, you've got your presentation to retailers at the same time, you're trying to make Hasbro happy and, um, you're trying to make sure it all times out. So the customer's happy and everybody gets, um, gets what they want. The customer gets the product and everybody else gets paid. So that, that's, that's the dream. Uh, so after that, basically it's kind of rinse, wash and repeat, um, you know, if, if you if you're successful, um, everybody just says, let's just do it again next year. Um, if you're not as successful, you know, you might go back to the drawing board and you might ask Hasbro um, if they have any additional brands or ideas on how to make product better. Uh, one thing that uh, is interesting that nobody really talks about is in the licensing world, these companies like Hasbro. Uh, Nickelodeon uh, entertainment companies, they often have um, what is called a summit. And it's kind of like a mini convention. And it's just for companies that are licensees of them. Oh, yeah. So you would go to, you know, New York or Las Vegas. And it's a small, it's a, a relatively small private meeting. And Hasbro, Nickelodeon, very private. Uh, Hasbro or Nickelodeon, they will present to you their plans for the next year or two. And so again, that's very confidential. Uh, that's uh, secret, secret stuff. Um, and you know, often you have to put, you have to leave your phone outside the room. So they'll, they'll go over their plans for like, here's, here's our plans for transformers for the next three years. And very few people see that. Um, and it's a way for you to get excited about the brand. And again, just to keep you kind of focused on making good product in your own world and using the transformers brand. Um, they just want to, again, it's a lot of like, um, posturing and kind of selling to each other, uh, convincing each other that, you know, we're cool. 
and everybody loves the brand and, and we make good product and, and, and just, you know, everybody is hunky dory. So it's a lot of that. So, um, so Hasbro won't be shy about, you know, making you come to New York or, or Vegas and, and watching a big, long presentation on just how popular Transformers are. And, you know, we got a three to five year plan uh, and it's all going to be awesome. So it's, that's it's, another thing that happens. And that's fun. Is it the same sort of people that we deal with at Toy Fair or is it uh, in addition to like uh, mar- uh, licensing folks or is it a different set of people at Hasbro that you don't I mean, with? my in my experience, it's different. Um, it's, it's more of an executive, um, presentation. Uh, you're going to see your chief marketing officers, your chief merchandising officers. Uh, you're like, you're again, your licensing agents. So it's much more like executive and sales oriented. Um, not so much the creative people and the design people, and even not so much, um, specific to product. So like toy fair, obviously, is for uh, when it comes to Hasbro specifically toy fair is for Hasbro to show off their wares because they aren't just a licensing company they are still a toy and game company so they directly make tons of products themselves so it's it's for a showcase for them and it's a showcase for the licensees that make related product that makes sense to be at toy fair so you know they the, everybody's there for Hasbro they they bring the whole show but when it comes to like licensing it really is about um financials it's about numbers and it's about just just going over like the health of a brand so you know uh, is this brand's revenue going up is it going down how many billions of dollars is it making every year Um, what countries is hasbro popular uh, in um i i will say that um you know i won't i won't give like specific numbers that's um definitely probably still confidential but broadly speaking one of the things that i always found really interesting about um about how hasbro brands and transformers brands is that uh the ownership of transformer branded products so not just toys but any kind of licensed product with transformers super high across the uh, across the world so um well over uh 50 i'll say that of of boys say three to nine uh, kind of in that rough demo, um, still adopt Transformer stuff. They still own like a very high percentage of, of boys um, own Transformers. And I never saw a stat for uh, Transformers product. I never really saw a stat for girls. Uh, that would be interesting to know. But uh, but those kind of analytics and those kind of stats were always very interesting. And then they help. They help like a license a licensee decide. You know, are we going to sell in? Um, are we going to sell in Europe? Are we going to sell in South America? Are we going to, are we going to, can we take Transformers XYZ product to Scandinavian countries or maybe less ambitious, but just as important? Can we take it to Canada or Mexico? Um, it helps. And, and so those are the kind of things that you see in those presentations. Were you ever ex- really excited about what you saw or is it, I mean, literally just boring number stuff all the time? Um, let me think something that I was like barely excited. You know, I was always just, again, just like being a Transformers enthusiast. I was never super excited by, um, the licensing presentations. I was always excited to see the new creative stuff that they would send us. So they would send us, um, well, uh, in Hasbro's case, you know, they kind of have like a library of creative assets, images and logos and things like that. Character does that. Um, yeah, it was fun. It was kind of fun to, to peek, peek into that kind of like literally like, uh, you know, digitally, at least speaking, like it's a library of stuff. And so it's kind of like when they get, when they get new books in the library, it's very exciting to see that. And, and of course I, I knew, I know enough about Transformers to be excited about what I, I see. One did, of the, you, did you have access to their damn, their digital asset management system? Yeah. Oh, so you could like just log in remotely and yes. poke around. Yes. Oh, wow. And so that, and, and uh, I'm sure this is the case for any entertainment company, but of course that, that library, that dam is, um, it's gated off based on your licensing yeah. agreement. So, you know, we, but my company had, um, gosh, uh, four or five, uh, Hasbro brands that we had fully licensed in our, in our category. So there were four or five, um, uh, entryways to the different brands. If you if you logged in as my company or as me, frankly, if, if you used my login at the time, you would see the four or five brands that we've licensed, and, and through those doors uh, was everything. 
that you would need to to make any kind of any kind of product, T-shirts or, or anything that you need to slap a, a Transformers logo on. And so that was very exciting. Exciting. Those were that was kind of like through the heyday of um, looking back. It was uh, Combiner Wars was a big deal. Um, the um, evergreen designs uh, were being pushed really hard. Um, and then by the time I left, they they had uh, basically had kind of started. Uh, mo- they had, I don't know if they had completed, but they had mo- basically mostly gone through the uh, the War for Cybertron trilogy. So like all that stuff was was there. So again, no no spoilers, no peeking um, behind that curtain. But um, but yeah, it was always exciting to see that stuff. And and honestly, Hasbro moves so fast. Um, you know, I've been in a new position professionally for six, seven months. Um, they've already smoked me. You know what I mean? Like, like they're, they, they've already moved so far beyond what I saw at the time. Um, I couldn't even imagine, you know, what they're sharing with license licensees right now. I'm sure it's really exciting and fun. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it, it moves so fast. Once you get, once you get out of the game, at least when it comes to like the creative stuff, um, it doesn't take long before you're, you're, you know, you're, you're left behind. And but that's part of the fun. So because when you're in it, it moves super fast. John, you're awesome. Thank you for being here. Thank you, Brian. This was fun. It was fun. This has been RFC Throwback. RFC Throwback is a Radio Free Cybertron production. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.